0: the quantum mechanics yes we are the quantum mechanics with a paranormal podcast for the believers the doubters and everyone in between um, ben there's a couple of things i just wanted to talk about before we get into the episode firstly i mentioned it briefly last week that i'd had some experiences uh similar to yours with the electrics of my car because i know you've had it over the last few weeks mm. windows opening Even non-electrical stuff, your door's slightly open and stuff. It's been really weird, right? Yeah, yeah. And I had a a similar incident uh, a couple of weeks ago, or about a week and a half ago, where I was just working away at my desk, and the car was on the driveway. I'd come back about half an hour earlier. It was all locked up. It was fine. Uh, Keys on the table next to me, so not in my pocket. And I looked out the window, and uh, the the hatchback bit was open the boot was open now I have got one of those boots that you can open electronically but you know I was nowhere near the key or anything and I just thought it was weird about the experiences that you've had and then I'm had them and then I had another experience this week which I'm not going to talk about because I think we can talk about it as part of a wider episode that um, I'm putting together for next week. But I had another really strange incident in the car. So spooky, it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up on end. It, It's one of... I mean, when people hear it next week, maybe they'll go, what's he talking about? It's one of the <laughs> weirdest things that I've had since we've been doing the podcast. And it seems weird. It's connected with cars and yours car as well kind of i feel like you've started this off
1: yeah well the first time um and it wasn't even my car it was my partner's car the first time we had an issue with it was when we were doing the standing stones and we had yes that that's a peculiar right. incident and since then it's been doing weird things the windows being down and whatever and yeah, you can say it's electrical things but pretty peculiar.
0: Well, I think um, it's funny because now you've said it was your partner's car. They are actually the same make of car. So when we dig into this episode next week, we'll either be like a consumer advice podcast that will call a recall <laughs> of all these manufacturers' cars, or we may have come across something paranormal. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. So um, that's a bit of a tease for next week. But it, when, when I do the episode next week you'll see why I saved it because it it does fit into a wider topic that I want to talk about second thing I wanted to mention was oh what a lovely man and what a lovely episode it was interviewing Tommy Trelawney last week about his podcast The Interruption I loved that it was just such a lovely man lovely interview and a great episode
1: oh I, I couldn't agree more um, d- like Since we did that, I've listened to it again. I think that's probably three times because I was listening for more information. But yeah, fantastic investigator, fantastic presentation. If you haven't listened to it yet, if you haven't been persuaded, go and do it now. But what I would say is that he gave me the impetus for this week's show because he was talking about... Uh, UFO religions and I think he was right to say don't call them cults call them for what they are you know religions cults has a very specific meaning and perhaps I was being um, I think perhaps a bit naive and maybe unfair on these people but something we've spoken about before and something you have definitely into the show is uh the idea of uh the dogon tribe who appear to have really peculiar knowledge so just to refresh everyone's memory and if you're uh if you if you don't know about it i'll price it now so it's a tribe in west africa uh they're believed to be of egyptian descent and their astronomical law goes back thousands of years to about 3200 BC and when I say that astronomical law that is uh, tied in with the uh, the information that elders pass to the next generation and according to their traditions one of the things that they pass down is some knowledge about the star Sirius and the fact that it has a companion star which is invisible to the human eye but it has a a 50-year elliptical orbit around the visible Sirius and is extremely heavy. This is something they passed down from the elders.
0: So th- this was their belief that they passed down as knowledge from way back when before Christ basically. Correct. Yeah.
1: And the first people to discover this were two French anthropologists. Uh two gentlemen called Marcel Gruet. Oh, this is so bad, I'm sorry. And germain <coughs> Dietron. There, I've said it. That's how it's pronounced. That's how it's going. I'm really sorry. <laughs> that's, that's how it's pronounced from now on. That's how it's pronounced from now on. <laughs> I was only privileged to uh, have up to GCSE French knowledge. And unfortunately, they really put the focus on ordering steaks in a restaurant above (laughs) pronouncing people's names. But the question that these two anthropologists came up with, well, I say came up with, that was confronted with them, was how did people who lacked any kind of astronomical devices, so any kind of technology at all, really, how did they know about an invisible star? And this invisible star, which we now call Sirius B, wasn't even photographed until 1970. So it took, you know, we're talking a 50-year differential between uh, these anthropologists talking to this tribe and absolutely confirming that it's true and when questioned about it the dogon have a really interesting point of view they say that they were visited thousands of years ago by the nomos and the nomos are an and and this is their words not mine their words not mine an ugly amphibious being that resembled mermen and mermaids so they're wow. part i didn't i didn't know that bit i mm.
0: didn't know that was there was that description yeah god that ties into so much modern kind of ufo lore as well That's incredible. it does and
1: and when you start thinking about um mermaids and all of that you start thinking silver and perhaps uh i don't know like something you would wear to go to space uh, p- yeah, p- yeah, perhaps yeah. it isn't scales perhaps it's something more
0: Yep, yeah, yeah
1: but the the legend goes on to say something else it says that the nomos also furnished the dogon with some interesting information about our own solar system that the planet jupiter has four moons that saturn has rings and the planet's the orbit uh, the sorry the planets that we know orbit the sun which was unknown in 1930 wow. specifically in uh, an african tribe
0: uh, well and i'm assuming they had no such things as telescopes so it's not like no, that's right they could and certainly you know 2000 bc they wouldn't have So to know that Saturn had rings especially is incredible.
1: Right. So you're presented with a mystery, and this is where the book, The Serious Mystery by Robert Temple, uh, comes into its own. That was published in 1977. And then a number of people rebutted what he was saying because he was presenting what appeared to be impossible evidence... And people were saying, no, it's not impossible evidence. So one of the, the biggest uh, arguments against it was the Dogons had encountered Western, uh, I guess, well, you'd say anthropologists, uh, but also investigators, scientists who told them about the Sirius Star because they had a religion that was based around the Sirius Star and they were given some right. extra information um which is it's a good theory but it doesn't really hold water
0: because of when the Sirius the Sirius B was discovered well originally
1: so okay let me so Sirius B's existence was suspected as early as 1844 okay and it was seen through a telescope in 1862 but right. so that that seems to kind of go, yep, yeah, I'll put everything together, but the Dogon artifact, which proves that they were passing this information down, goes to be four hundred years old, and therefore, how is it possible for a four hundred year old artifact first encountered in nineteen thirty? how can you explain that away with modern knowledge that was just encounter- you know passed to them mm. uh through dialogue i mean you can you can you can get the kind of the
0: the skeptic knockback logic of it cuz when you first said it i was like well why would they pick telling them why would these anthropologists tell tell them about sirius but if they knew it was a star that they did worship to say well wait until you hear this fact, oh God, this will blow your mind. But, yeah, so but there is evidence that they had acknowledged this uh, star, Sirius B, before it was discovered, at least by Western astronomers.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is yeah. true. So I guess where, where we're at with the Sirius mystery is that... Uh, despite Robert Temple putting this out in the 70s and um, it being received in various different ways, there was no solid evidence of another fact that the Dogons have, which is something called Sirius C. This is another star that the Nomos home planet circulates around. But in 1995 we did get evidence of Sirius C. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in a quandary where quite recently, and we're talking the early 2000s, Robert Temple said, I am not saying this is alien intervention. And I think this is probably because of quite a lot of pushback and people sort of saying that he jumped the shark and... um, there was there was various explanations for how the Dogon could have got their knowledge, despite solid evidence that there are carvings and songs from the Dogon tribe, which can be dated to 400 years old before, so 400 years be, be, before 1977, which show that they did have a knowledge of Sirius A, Sirius B, and perhaps Sirius C, and they have this culture of uh, this other civilization coming down and teaching them not only astronomy but other facts and this goes into I think what uh, Tommy was talking about you asked him about the relationship between biblical tales and aliens and he had a great answer for that but if we take the dogon as a great example of people trying to explain something away it raises the question of if we try to as as a western culture as white people in the western civilization who is exploring and has colonized many lands if we say there's a great explanation for this because we want a proper answer. I think there is perhaps a problem with that. I'm not saying it's racist, but perhaps we're ignoring some of the pure facts that are coming out of that tribe. And it's very, very easy to say, "Oh no, it was this, it was that," and and I came across. Um, so I'm going to cite some uh, uh, some papers that come from various different institutions and I've got one here which comes it's a 1988 paper from a Californian university and I'm just going to read you a very short excerpt of it recent notions of UFOs might have been born in the west but indigenous beliefs are regularly reinterpreted to provide proof of the existence of extraterrestrials in the Americas. And it cites a number of papers, Uh, Oceania and South Africa. For instance, some Hopi have asserted that stories of star people were historic encounters with extraterrestrials. Now I'm going to stop there because the Hopi tribe, that is in a completely different part of the world to the Dogon. And have a completely different culture and then when you start looking into uh, the Hopi you then very quickly jump into the Lakota Indians who are an associated tribe and when you start doing that you find an extraordinary thing the Lakota Indians have a tribal belief about Devil's Tower and Devil's Tower is of course the star of close encounters of the third kind of course yes according to the story (laughs) the formation of daryl's devil's tower began long ago and and this is obviously a tribal story but you have to read through the dialogue to see what they're telling you are they
0: saying that that Spielberg that influence yeah. Spielberg yeah. or or it's coincidence?
1: Well, yeah. they don't mention Spielberg, but I can imagine when you hear this story, it's the kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or unless sorry,
0: I'm going maybe going off at a tangent, but there are all those I guess conspiracy theories, aren't there around? spielberg and oh yes Close encounters that somehow he was in contact with you know whatever the equivalent of project blue book was at the time and you know had access there's, there's a joke in it in the um in Paul, isn't there that comedy thing where, where the oh, aliens yeah, on yeah, the yeah. phone spielberg and say you won't believe what i've got to tell you yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah he, yeah. he his, his films were funded by um dark money yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the rumour, isn't it? Sorry, yeah. that's a slight aside. No, 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 but I think that hits in with this. So the devil's so the the Lakota Indians, the formation of the Devil's Tower began when a female being fell to earth from the star world and died with her newborn baby beside her. When you get into the story, there is a group of young Lakota boys who were out playing when they found the woman lying dead. They brought her baby back to the tribe and where he was raised and cured by an older Lakota woman. And he was named... Something I can't pronounce. But (laughs) (laughs) it means in in Lakota tribe, it means fallen star. Wow. It is said he was peculiar from the get-go he aged way faster than his Lakota relatives did in one year of our time he would maybe be four or five years older just within four years he was already a teenager and they then go on to talk about how years after this when he left the tribe to start his own family a group of young girls were out playing and suddenly found themselves surrounded by hungry bears. Those bears started to rush in, and out of the blue, a voice told those girls, stand on this little mound of earth, and the the girls obeyed. And this was the voice of this original child, because he'd remembered his relatives. And the story goes on to say that the mound of earth caused itself to go high in the sky, protecting the girls from the bears who continued clawing at the mound until they were killed by falling rocks. So those distinctive patterns down the side of Devil's Tower, the Lakota... Oh, that's where that comes from. That's where it comes from. So the the Lakota legend... And the flat top, because they're standing on it. That's right. That's exactly right. So the the Lakota... tradition says that a star child was raised by Lakota women it then became it was sort of elevated to I, I would guess you would say a saintly like status and then years later a bunch of young girls who were threatened by bears his voice came through told them what to do and he influenced the building of the tower. Now, that sounds very much like just a legend, but it's really interesting that that legend would start with somebody coming from the heavens, a star child, an an extraterrestrial, somebody who doesn't belong to the tribe. And this is where we start finding uh, a relationship between cultures and whether we call other cultures in inverted commas extraterrestrial cultures because they're so unfamiliar or whether we start recognizing them as uh as as beings from another planet and this is this is kind of my next point because Uh, before you do that it, it it
0: that story also reminds me of it's interesting cuz i feel that kind of story has also been picked up in sci-fi movies and sci-fi writing almost a kind of trope isn't it this alien creature that looks like us as a baby but then grows at an, you know extended fast rate that that feels like a sci-fi trope as well so again it's that kind of influence is really strong on
1: our mainstream culture
0: Without, without knowing it.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's a fairy trope. It's the changeling. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yes. yeah. Um, so I then went on to see, because my overall hypothesis was perhaps Western culture is ignoring the beliefs of indigenous tribes and people from different cultures, almost in a racist way. I'm not saying it was deliberate,
0: but when you're saying that, I was I was thinking because there is almost, and it weirdly it ties into the conversation we had about maps the other week, yeah, about yeah. turning the map upside down rather than the kind of north and south, north being on the top, south being on the bottom. Yeah, you can see these anthropologists, especially at that time, you know, with the Drogon tribe. Dogon tribe going there and almost this air of superiority and then you come across these people who seem to have information that is way more advanced or at least uh, have knowledge which you're just not aware of it's almost like there's this need to almost discount it they can't know that much because you know there's almost this intellectual superiority let alone everything else that's going on feeling of intellectual superiority that they bring as anthropologists in that time i would think
1: well so that absolutely ties into what we're talking about now so i found this from the journal of ethnographic theory from 2012 and one of their papers um halfway through it sort of starts with um Betty and Barney Hill and Roswell and stuff. But the most interesting point about it is they start talking about Travis Walton. So anybody who isn't familiar with this, and I'm sure most of you are, uh, November the 5th, 1975, he goes missing and he comes back five days later. And what we get from him is so you, you know uh, if you've seen fire in the sky that is somewhat uh truthful somewhat yeah. dramatic but um yeah he's been away for five days he clearly hasn't eaten he is traumatized and some of the things that he reports are uh and this uh journal picks up on it is um, he's in something that looks like a hospital or a lab and instruments around him he calls them instruments something of science and he talks about the aliens he talks about how they are silent so we've got quite this nightmarish concept of being in what is a very hostile environment clean, clinical, sharp instruments, people, entities who don't understand why you're scared and they just carry on with their job and this is the theme that carries on because the author of this particular paper likens this to the American literary genre which is called the Indian Captivity Narrative. And I had never come across this until I uh, started researching this. Ah. And the Indian Captivity Narrative, it sounds very, very much like the UFO abduction one. So what we're talking about here is uh, we're talking about Indians who are characterised and this is racist, of course, and uh, from a different time, by colonising white Westerners as the devil, almost wild animals. And and they're sometimes described as the natural man, the strong-bodied man, but ultimately the technology-weak other. So they have... Um, in these stories, they have a lot going for them. They're, they're, they're powerful in terms of their physical being, but there is another entity who has technology that overcomes it. And uh, right. it is described as uh, an unwilling captive of an alien race. Now, that particular phrase doesn't relate to UFO law. That relates to what was being written about by native americans in the 1800s by westerners
0: right right well i'd never made that that connection that that that's yeah it makes complete sense doesn't it yeah 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 so and also that uh, sorry it also ties into that narrative that we've explored a few times about um alien colonization it's a similar thread, yeah. isn't it? It's that fear of being taken over, and that's a common fear with uh, cultures and people that you don't understand. That that almost, you know, that's true. Is not that's it? right? That, yeah, that's it, it's a narrative that is either put about or is 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 wrongly leapt li- to. Yeah, yeah, that's ex- wow. I'd never made
1: that connection. That's amazing. And so I think. So so this particular uh, paragraph from this paper really gave me cause to stroke my chin. And it says, uh, the Indian forest becomes the Apache Seagraves National Forest. So th- those are two uh, Native American tribes. It belongs now to the nation. And in this contained forest and inside the UFO the abducting alien race as an intensified image of the white man. Now this pale, high-tech, clinical alien race is descending upon what has become what Walton's Land. So Walton's Land is a name for um, the free spirit of um, the, the, the native tribes conquering what is in this narrative his native place his earth in terms of narrative identification the abductee has traded places once the captor was less technological more natural but it is now the captive who claims native rights to the place being invaded the earth
0: it's almost like a a bit of a reap what you sow fable as well you could
1: you could argue yeah yeah it really is it really is and and the argument here as you've rightly pointed out is that this is uh, an inversion of the colonialization of white men over indigenous tribes and the i guess fear of that was bought to them and also the incomprehension of the technology that was bought and it's been reversed. So the argument here yep. is that Travis Walton, what, what he didn't go through was, uh, a, t- a taking of his whole body into an alien spacecraft where he was examined. What they are saying is what he went through is, uh, a, an imaginative journey where he was replacing his consciousness as the white invading force with an indigenous indigenous Indian. Now I think there's a whole load of problems with that. I'm not saying that the, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but the details and the stories, they don't really fit. If, if that was an imaginative mm thing how would those stories fit together how, why if if you're arguing that this is uh, something about white colonialism and 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 I have to be super careful when i say this i am not arguing that that is a good thing i genuinely i'm not saying that but if you if you go into the detail of the story if that is what you are saying what you then need to do is back up the reason why people talk very in-depth about tractor beams, um, glowing objects, craft that are floating in the sky, because that is not part of white colonialism.
0: I was going to say, I get it in terms of almost... Um, we're talking about movies. Like, I get it in terms of a metaphor in a movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. a, a comparison the direct link is a bit more of a struggle because, you know, take Travis's example, you're left, and I think you you mentioned it, you're left with this question of, yeah, but for why? (laughs) You know what I mean? For why in a lot of these cases that is there that much underlying guilt that almost like we've said a few weeks ago that you go into a disassociative state and kind of live out this thing? I'm not sure there is. Uh, Like, as a perfect metaphor for a movie or a story, I get it. But, yeah, it means that a lot of people are literally interpreting that and somehow manifesting it, which it does feel a stretch. It does
1: does feel a stretch, but this paper is not the only one to represent it. And it, it, it is not the only one coming from that... Um, particular direction so wow i came across uh i i I guess it's an essay by somebody called uh patricia Felisa barbatio oh god i hope i've said that right it looks right and the title of it is he's making me feel things in my body that i don't feel the Body as a Battleground in Accounts of Alien Abduction. And this is kind of where I felt like there was a good, um, not alternative point of view, but something that added a little bit more meat to the bones on the previous, uh, the, uh, well, I guess, the previous paper. And it starts by saying, During the 1990s, the image of a long-limbed, grey-skinned alien with huge slanted black eyes, a tiny nose and a thin line for a mouth in a large triangular head had become as ubiquitous as an image of the other had been in that of a savage tomahawk-wielding Indian all the way up to the 20th century. So very much in that first sentence, what they're saying is that this is a cultural norm. So in American culture, and we're talking very early on in the 19th century, 20th century, uh, there is a, uh, an image of uh, indigenous people that has been turned into a single... Thing that can be represented in, uh, uh, I guess, a, 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 an image, which is this kind of tomahawk-wielding savage. That's yeah. what they're saying. And what this particular paper is saying is that that is similar to what we're talking about with aliens. Aliens have been turned into what we would now call a grey. And she goes further yeah. than that to say that accounts of alien abduction are clearly related to each other so she's saying that there there are common themes she's saying that that
0: image of an alien gray sparks from that uh native american image or is she saying it's 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 of a similar ilk
1: she's saying that it comes from a similar theory of memes it's something that people are able to just point to him and go, that's an alien. Very. Si- that's what it is. it is. That's what right. it is. And it's very similar to when people, you know, when they categorise the perceived enemy, which is the Native American tribes, they can point to this individual. And so she's drawing yeah. a comparison between them and saying that right. there is a common enemy here it is something that is to be feared it is something that has to be overcome and it is something that we can all recognize as bad and she says this equally popular and more enduring ancestor the indian captivity narrative is 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 a reason to explain where we are, and again, this is someone else saying the stories of white women who had been captured by Native Americans, and they these stories are typically written by uh, people who return who uh, explain that the captive is returned home to uh, rejoicement. Literally thousands of Indians in captivity. Were, uh, the stories of such were published between the mid-17th and late 19th centuries, and they were among America's first best-selling books. So what she's saying there, of course, is that this notion of uh, white colonialism triumphing over Native Americanism becomes something of a trope in books actually
0: that makes sense tying it back to the travis thing because i said well surely he's not having this kind of experience because of you know the the treatment of native americans what you're saying is that doesn't matter what the appeal of the story is that it ties in to that cultural fear
1: that yeah that's exactly right yeah yeah so so there's this fear that um this this other race will win and there are all these books where the invaders are the heroes and the people who are defending their own land or uh, not even defending their own land, who are just living on their own land peacefully are persecuted and the fear is that those people will overwhelm uh, those who are who are invading, and what she in the course of the paper, what she's saying is this very much similar to the last one. This is inversed in people's imagination. So when they think about alien abductions, what's actually happening is they are imagining this much. More powerful technological race has taken over their body and is doing what they will mm-hmm. with it, and it's it's sort of mm-hmm. like um, and the equivalent of uh, I I I know I am, but what are you? It's it's something. It's a fear that is coming through. That is the argument. But yeah. I I think you contrast this with. The knowledge that is coming through from the Dogons, and again, this this way of phrasing it, where well, of course they would, you know, people would say that because this is the anthrop anthropomorphic reason for them saying this, and it's because you've invaded this country and you're persecuting these people, and you're inverting that persecution. It has some problems. I understand why people put put it forward because it's a much more simplistic and I guess more palatable explanation than aliens are here. But in its own way, it is a little bit racist and a little bit d- in denial of some of the details. Yeah, and it, what it what, and actually. I think I'm really interested
0: in that perspective when it comes to the Dogon tribe, because, you know, we started this off by saying it was almost, and and I, and I was the same with my questions. It's like, so could they have known about it before? <laughs> These anthropologists told them about it. That was the first thing I jumped to as a sceptic's point of view. But what that kind of highlights is actually there there's, there was an assumption from those anthropologists and from people in the West of, well, how can they know this incredible thing? Yeah. There must be a trick. They must have been told about it by one of us. <laughs> and yeah, they, yeah, ju- yeah ab- they, absolutely. They've, just, uh, they've stitched it into their folklore to make themselves look good. It's almost, you know, it's almost those anthropologists jump to that, how could they understand it? <laughs> You know, yes. So maybe that's I, more interesting than where they got the information from, or whether it was from aliens or not, or working out how they got it. It was the assumption that they couldn't have it.
1: That I think you've hit the nail on the head. This is all based around assumptions, and when we say we are the podcast of the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between, I think to do that tagline justice we have to say that we don't have any assumptions and when you read these papers they have all i'm not going to say all okay i will say that when you come up with a paper that portrays a philosophy it comes from an area of understanding and you are putting forward a point of view and you're you know even in a scientific environment even if put it putting it up for review you are still putting it up for a point uh, for uh, for review and you're coming from a, a certain situation it is not like arguing that this mathematical puzzle is right what you're doing is talking about a a reasoning for why these beliefs should be and it's very complex And I think the end of this particular paper really sort of widened my eyes. And it's very short, and I just want to read it to you. It says, During the 19th century... I say, I'm going to read it to you. I've got so old now, I can't work out whether I need my glasses or not. Put my glasses on, it's too big. (laughs) Take my glasses off, it's too blurry. I'm just going to lean closer to the screen. During the 19th century... The rapid U.S. expansion to the South and to the West, powered by the ideology of manifest destiny, was enabled in part by the way these narratives had already reinforced the idea that the American continent was destined to be conquered by the United States. And by the United States, what I mean is white people coming from Europe. They did so by depicting Native Americans as a population doomed to savagery and irrationality and the white captive as righteous and always ultimately triumphant. And that sums up this slew of fiction and, you know, potentially, pseudo-factual work that is coming out of the authors and and we have to remember that books and newspapers are obviously the prime way of distributing knowledge at this time and it has influenced all the stories and the argument of course continues that this way of thinking about conquering america this way of we are right, you are wrong, has somehow influenced people to say, okay, you, you're, this, is, this has impacted on you and this is why you think you've been um, taken by aliens. But th- this, this way of framing it, it sort of puts into a nationalistic personification And it really is only one or two or three or four people's viewpoints. And I really feel like they've backwards engineered what is a really Mm. difficult subject. I I think everybody who lives in the Western world should probably, you know, the way that uh, America was taken over when it had indigenous people it's not a happy thing to think about and there are many things that people should and and there are many examples
0: you know from a british standpoint that's the same it's funny when you were talking about that i i was i was weirdly tying back to the maps one we did a couple of weeks ago and that map that map of australia (laughs) with the the big C in the middle because you know it, it it's almost the same attitude that made them design that it, fake map
1: because it, it really it's is.
0: almost this that drive to say almost the arrogance of we've got to kind of conquer the whole land we're going to have to make up something in the middle to keep the project going yes yeah, yeah you know what yeah, I mean yeah, we're going to yeah. have to put a C in the middle to keep the project going and it's almost a almost an arrogant, deliberate deception to make the project continue. And I, yes. I, I don't mean that sarcastically, the project, but it's no, almost, no, I you, believe you, that's almost how they would have seen it.
1: Yeah, no, no, you're, you're completely right. And uh, it's quite difficult to come at it as a white person living in the West from the country that did this because it's very hard to find a constructive argument to kind of analyze these properly because as i say people come with their own points of view and when you're in school you always get taught one well, you know you get taught the the white british view or at least you did when i was at school but i understand his story as they the say the story yes but i understand why people are saying this but it feels like as i said it feels like a leap to say that this is the reason why people are saying that they have alien encounters because when you take travis walton for example what you're what you're really saying is that he is you know i guess you're you're implying a guilt factor and saying you know he's so overwhelmed with guilt that he is seeing it from the other person's point of view and this has caused a mirage in his own mind. Now, I'm not ruling out there are the people well, who wrote this. Well, but no uh, or,
0: or the alternative, the alternative is is kind of how I was frame it that Travis Walters had that experience, but the reason that it it gained traction or so much interest is because it is a perfect analogy for those fears. And, you know, I guess it, you could argue it's fear or guilt or a combination of both. So, yeah, it, al- al- almost, almost I'm taking it a different way of there's, it, it, it's not necessarily saying all these alien encounters are because of this. It's saying maybe the popularity of it, maybe some of them are, but, you know, a lot of them maybe just genuine encounters but it it just taps in to that same narrative because you could argue it's like the you know as i mentioned it earlier about the alien takeover and hybrids and all that kind of stuff if you believe in that stuff it you can understand why it's so fearful almost fearful to the stage that you might not want to investigate it
1: (laughs) yeah no that that actually makes a lot of sense and i think i think you're right but i'm going to finish by my sort of hypothesis is that a lot of this is noise so the dogon have their own belief it was it was uh sort of there was an explanation given but it isn't a solid explanation then there are a number of people who write about the reasoning for why it is that um, people sort of find themselves in these either imaginary or real positions of being persecuted uh, or at least abducted by alien races. And then I found this interview which i've taken a couple of segments from which i think put it into perspective and you find that middle ground because i'm always looking for that middle ground because i don't think you can i don't think it's possible to say yep we can prove the the dogon that's it know this and i don't think it's possible to say absolutely travis walton is uh, a product of I don't know colonial grief over what had happened yeah. to the country, but I do think this is really interesting. So this interview was conducted by PBS, which, as far as I understand it, that is like a, an American version of the BBC. So uh, it comes with a lot of Correct. credentials. Correct. And it's an interview with uh, a psychiatrist from Harvard University called John Mack. And the title of the interview is talking about indigenous cultures and their relationship with the ET concept. So as you can imagine, as soon as I saw that come up, uh, my ears were, uh, (laughs) they'd become full Spock-like. (laughs) good analogy thank you well i i would play this interview now but unfortunately all i could find was a transcript so you're just going to have to bear with me with my voice but it isn't very long i've edited it down so um there's a there's a few points i want to bring up so remember john mack is the psychiatrist from harvard And the part of the interview that I first captured was him saying this. When I first encountered this phenomenon, and he means the ET contact phenomenon, or particularly even before I had actually seen the people themselves, I had very little place in my mind to take this seriously. I, like most of us, were raised to believe that if we were going to discover another intelligence we'd do it through radio waves or through signals or something of that kind. The idea that we could be reached by some kind of being, creature, intelligence, whatever, that could actually enter our world and have physical effects as well as emotional effects was simply not part of the worldview that I had been raised in. So that I came very reluctantly to the conclusion that this was a true mystery. In other words, that I, I did everything I could to rule out other sources or sexual abuse, whatever. Some of these people are abused, but they're able to tell, distinguish clearly, the abduction trauma from other forms of abuse. Some forms of psychosis or people making up stories, I could reject that on the basis that there was no gain in this for the vast majority of the people. I've now worked with over a hundred experiences extensively, which involves an initial two hour or so screening interview before I do anything else. And in case after case after case, I've been impressed with the consistency of the story, the sincerity with which, which people tell their stories and the power of feelings connected with these, the self doubt, all appropriate responses that these people have to their experiences. Now, that I think we could, I guess, imagine would be something that um, you would hear from a number of different investigators into the UFO phenomena. The fact that the more they go into it, the more curious it becomes. But this is what he says about indigenous people who i just want everyone to remember until 150 200 years ago had no connection with current western society they were forming their own ideas their own beliefs and their own stories he says i've been looking in looking at this phenomena as it manifests itself in indigenous people in native americans the cherokee the hopi who know these beings as the star people we've looked at this in south africa particularly in interviewing in depth a leading south african uh, sangoma or medicine man who calls these beings mandagalas M- man oh, God, please could i stop having these words manding (laughs) mandingas mandingas thank you mandingas mandingas we've investigated it in brazil with a farmer uh i'm getting recent i've received a letter about abduction experiences from a person in malaysia today in other words this is as far as we can tell a worldwide phenomena it is not restricted as some people have thought to western or particularly american culture and i think that for me Mm. sums up the journey i went on we can make all the excuses Mm. we want for betty and barney hill for travis walton for all of that but when you talk to people with real credentials who have investigated it properly where we're not coming at it from a Western perspective, we're coming at it from a holistic perspective. They find the same stories, they find the same themes going through them, and therefore you have to ask yourself, is this not a cultural phenomenon? This is not a story that is just resonating because of some... I don't know, cultural thing that happened 200 years ago. But this is a reality. And I think that sums it up for me. And again, I'm not advocating for any particular point of view, but I find that absolutely fascinating that somebody who comes from Harvard University who has spoken to these people that we have just literally been saying are the cause of Western i don't know i guess stories they have their own stories i think you can get really carried away by trying to turn this into something that is uh you know almost uh, a culture war it isn't that it's deeper yeah, yeah. yeah and we need a deeper understanding and we need to understand people's own experiences and the whole reason I got into this if I can stop getting if I can get off my high horse is because Tommy reminded me that we shouldn't get overly we shouldn't call UFO cults cults they should be UFO religions because people have sincerely held beliefs and I respect what he said and I think that's absolutely right but what we should also do is look at the sincerely held beliefs of all of these people who claim they've had contact from every single race and region of the earth and stop trying to make explanations for it that don't make a whole load of sense and think what actually is happening here that's me good night cleveland (laughs) (laughs) well
0: i i i think i think that is a a really interesting perspective to put forward i guess what would the only kind of counter to that was going through my mind is i think what intrigued me about what you've talked about today is this theory around the cultural unknown technological unknown you know and you you using the american analogy it's like if you say well look native american tribes had this belief i guess a skeptic could say well it could have been generated by fear of another yeah. tribe <laughs>
1: yeah Who of, course, maybe of had course
0: of course yeah. about maybe had better weapons than they. Yeah. so you, you you know i think i think the two things that maybe counter that is to to kind of put it in the sense of they're star people there's there's something extraterrestrial I I get it from a, a perspective of us now why that would work. I don't quite get it from a point of a Native American point of view of, oh, it's another tribe that are invading our area. I will kind of create this thing where it's coming from, you know, like the stars. Um, but I think what's interesting and underlines all of this in terms of how you started this on the Dogon tribe it doesn't take away how they had that knowledge and the type of knowledge that they had. And in my mind, there are only really three reasons that they had that knowledge. You know, the first, which would be the ultimate kind of Western sceptic one, is, well, somebody later told them, and they've just almost as some... I don't know for some hoax or because of their love of serious of interwoven it into their culture earlier than actually existed, and it did come from existing information. So that's number one. The second one is they got it from these people, as their traditions say, who'd come down from the stars and told them all this stuff. Um, And, you know, either that started their obsession with Sirius or they came because they had an obsession with Sirius. Um, Or (laughs) the third one, which ties into this uh, almost Western arrogance, is, is it possible through ways that we didn't understand at the time, maybe didn't even understand, don't even understand now, that they found out this information for themselves?
1: Yeah, from an esoteric mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, those three seem to me, there may be more if anyone's got any thoughts, the only kind of conclusions. And weirdly, out of those, the fact that they've almost backwards engineered it, I kind of, maybe it's the romantic in me, I don't want to lean for that as an explanation. I want to go with they either got it from the stars or they had the ability to do something that we didn't understand back then but wrote off because of our arrogance and maybe don't even understand today.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I completely agree. And I think the the notion of saying that the Dogon knowledge is based on Western input again like it's completely possible but like you say it's it also is a very western centric i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say racist but it is um it's an extraordinary view to have when you say well they couldn't possibly know that we are superior it's you get off on the wrong footing it's not the right way to go about looking at these things and yeah, I, yeah. I would agree with you on those three outputs. And and you're right. When you start applying Occam's razor to those three outputs, uh, where do you get to? I don't know because I haven't done the in-depth mm. research, but it's, it's very possible that uh, the Western input explanation doesn't hold up and their historical one does. And then where do you go you're in a whole minefield of trying to explain it away but i i just wanted to sort of put forward that through everything that we have discussed ufo religions are not crazy sometimes sometimes they're crazy of course sometimes they're crazy but some of these things appear real and they appear valid and to dismiss them out of hand and say they are conjured up out of paranoia or whatever i think absolutely undermines the base principle of there is something going on and i don't know what that is i'm i'm not saying it's aliens although like uh, ancient aliens i'm not saying it's aliens but it's aliens. i'm not saying that i'm just saying <laughs> there is something weird <laughs> happening here and if we try to explain it way and grasp at straws which some of these things appear to do we are missing the point
0: yeah yeah absolutely fascinating i wasn't expecting it to kind of go down that road but really really interesting debate i'm really glad we covered that um i'd really love to know what people think about what we've talked about today because it's i mean it, it, it's gone in so many different directions and we put forward so many different options and views of what could be going on we've reached for the stars like the dogons and uh <laughs> we'd love we, to know we, what, what we else really thinks. have
1: yeah no yeah. i i i would love i'd love to hear from somebody who comes from a non-white, non-Western culture who has an opinion on this and what the thoughts are that come from their own beliefs because I'd like to be informed. I feel like when I was researching this, I felt very much like I was pushed down a certain alley because of where I am in the world of the books that are available to me and the resources and I did try and look outside it hence some of the uh, quotes I gave but I'd really like to know from people who are non-indigenous western what the kind of beliefs that are passed down families that come you know that that impact on some of these thoughts the impact on ufos mm-hmm. the impact on aliens and their points of view because i imagine then it's not an easy thing to surface specifically probably if you're living in a western society but i would love to know about them i think it would be so informative and would enrich our understanding of this environment and and i i found this topic very difficult to cover because um coming from you know as i say coming from the background i have i find it very difficult to look at it from the other perspective because i haven't been educated Mm. that way so i'd love for other people Mm. to talk about that and help me understand what they think and what their cultures believe because i I do find Mm. i've tried to make this non-western uh, centric and and i'm not sure i've entirely succeeded but i would like to hear other people's opinions and and i would gladly receive them and i thank you for listening to uh to this research
0: yes and i, I yeah i think that's really good thing to say and i echo exactly what you've said there um in terms of you know my contribution to this episode um I'd also, there's a second bit that I'd also love to know. I know the book uh, on the Dogon was written in the 70s. Um, I would love to know anyone out there who has knowledge uh, of astronomy given, even not even going back 2000 BC, but, you know, even in the 1930s, Let's go with mm. that when they were first discovered by the anthropologists, mm. discovered. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. There goes a Western <laughs> a white Western privilege. They weren't discovered. They already existed, but we came across them. Um, is there, given the technology they had at the time, is there any way now with future knowledge that some genius sitting on the ground looking up at the stars from the Dogon tribe could have worked this stuff out?
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That
0: would be fascinating. It really would. because I, I
1: think that's absolutely the perfect thing to say, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That was brilliant, Ben. Um, well, thank you. And th- thank everyone for coming on that journey with us because it does feel like a bit of a journey. It was Next a week, journey. Cars.
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to leave you with um, the end of that Harvard article because it is someone who was... Um, uh, sorry, it was a PBS article by a Harvard professor. He goes on to mention that he has interviewed a number of airline pilots and he estimates 25 to 30% of them have had UFO encounters and a subset of those have had abduction experiences. And I think that's incredible. Um, but I'm going to leave it there. I want to thank everyone for listening everyone who's given us a review thank you it makes such a difference if you like what we're doing and we're trying you know this is this is um a labor of love if you like it please give us a review please say something nice please tell a friend everything helps uh this is uh it yeah love it thank you thank you
0: we'll see you next week on the quantum mechanics see you next time
1: Bye. Quantum
0: Mechanics